Welcome to the mail room. The mail room. Why are we singing? What are we doing? Because this week we have on our first music guest, Matt Smith. Yes, I mean, we interview aspiring entertainment industry professionals, but entertainment is not just limited to film and television. You gotta include music. And it was so cool to have him on. I'm, I'm really sad I couldn't have been there for the interview, but I think he did such a great job. The conversation kept flowing. He is managing a bunch of artists right now, most specifically John Carroll Kirby. Who we've seen a few times. He's gone to a few of his shows. He's a good artist. He plays music. Yes, that indeed he does. <laughs> he gets paid to do so. And on top of that, Matt Smith is the first guest that we've had on who started in the mailroom in the entertainment industry at UTA. He is so in line with what this podcast is. Couldn't be happier to have him on. It was a great interview. I think we should just hear it. Let him hear it. <laughs> Smith. Ooh. Ooh. You do some like claps and yeah, stuff could, like that. Maybe yeah. Ross is Ross is not here for this episode, but maybe you can uh, yeah. put some applause in there. I just feel like you would be better suited if you had some type of soundboard here to at least like give Ross like right. the cues. I, I think yeah. that would honestly be nice to just like, you know, some yeah. some Howard Stern. Like types the old of, radio type uh-huh. things. Yeah, I, I think that stuff is uh I so think admirable that is for what a podcast. We are missing. So, yeah. We are going to write that down <laughs> by soundboard yeah or just even one of those ones you get from like a dollar store that just has like fart sounds and stuff like that you know i think i think i could definitely get that like one of those staples that was easy oh yeah exactly maybe just that maybe i'll just get a bunch of them yeah a bunch of different little noise makers that'd be really good like a like a guitar pedal board it could be like your like personal soundboard collected i think that's an excellent idea and i can 100% 100% now understand why you have gotten to where you are today from these <laughs> just creative these ideas. good ideas. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it is it's so great to, yeah. to all that you've done. Oh, yeah. And so first I want to focus on to being a music manager. Mm-hmm. I've been to some of your shows. Yeah, you have. Actually, last week we were at one, which was a great show. Yeah. I, was, I was at that show. It was John Carroll Kirby. He's mm-hmm. a great pianist he is and keyboardist yeah and oh is he keyboardist? no he's pianist keyboardist yeah, same thing yeah he, he used he's great with using sounds to his advantage mm-hmm. and uh, he also had on mac demarco who is yeah. a pretty famous type of artist sure yeah um so what goes into being the day in the life of a of a music manager like yourself oh i guess i can just walk you through like that specific day because that was um, of a more recent memory so yeah i mean it was last monday john we had been putting together this uh residency for him at uh zebulon in silver lake Mm -hmm. you know a lot of my job is the pre-work that goes up to the actual night or the actual experience or actual uh you know music session collaboration that happens it's you know a lot of speaking with promoters talking to the people that do the production advances you know, working to make sure everything is set up for the person that I'm working for so that they can do their job the best. And basically, when they come and show up, it's all set up the most perfect that it can be. So all that they're focusing on is uh, creative output and showing whoever they're, you know, performing for or like working with that this is the best possible version of them. So your job is to make your artist's job as easy as possible. 
that and also you know come up with creative ideas with them that when it when it like makes sense so this uh residency idea came about with um me john and dan who also co-manages john with me and um you know it was just a thing that we're basically putting in place for john because he is going to want to do more touring in the future and he's currently doing a setup that allows him to tour by himself, which is not always what he's done. It's, you know, mostly you, we want to get him to a point where he can play with a full band, but unfortunately that is, uh, costs a lot of money and also takes a lot of backline and doesn't fully make sense for what John's trying to accomplish right now. And while we ramp up into that, that's just like we're, we're setting him up for success by setting up the solo show. So even though John's last performance was in Los Angeles, I'm assuming that he's not limited to just shows in Los Angeles. You're helping him manage tours or shows in North America and maybe in the world? Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, always the the thing you want to do when you're working with somebody on a uh, management level and you know, gauge where they want to go with their, their career. And in John's mind, it's this is something that we all talked about together Uh you know, he wants to take this performance and uh, his music to be able to be toured in different places. But the way he has to do that now is cut back costs and also figure out a way to make it the most uh, sensible for uh, somebody who is at the level he's at touring wise. So you mentioned costs and stuff. Are you also doing a lot of budgeting and finance for him as well? Or is it just more just making sure that everything is set up uh, for him? Yeah. I mean, in the beginning before, like John has an agent now. Okay. And where um, is he repped? He is with this uh, agency called Arrival, which was developed by the people who did Paradigm. Mm. Um, They broke off after obviously paradigm dissolved and uh they started this new company but they've got a lot of great acts and john fits really well in uh the roster of people that they have yeah yeah so it was nice to find an agent especially in the pandemic for john too and you know be able to develop his live touring show with somebody who is at you know a higher level because a lot of times um when you're just working on touring i mean john's been around for much longer uh than you know some of the other people that i work with but um in the beginning usually you're uh you know working on all of this stuff by yourself as a manager um you know you're doing the touring budgeting you're doing um you know what's it going to take to get this person there what's it going to take to get the the gear that they need in the actual place that they need to play um but with john it's a little different just because he is um, you know, has an agent and that person can help us like figure out these costs and calculations. And how often are you on the phone with his agent? We talk like, you know, it's not always on the phone, but you know, I'm talking to him a couple times a week. A lot of emails, maybe texts. A lot of emails, a lot of texts for sure. Sure. Yeah. So, um, let's say you are trying to book John at the Zebula, right? You're going to the Zebulon. Agent. Yeah. Zebulon, am I, am, I, am I pronouncing it wrong? Zebula. I like Zebula, though. I might <laughs> steal that for something. So you, let's say you want to book John at the Zebulon. Yep. You're calling his agent. And you're telling him that, and he's figuring out the, all those logistics of getting him there, or are you talking yeah. to the... That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. So with this particular situation, it was John and me and Dan talking about what he wanted to accomplish, figuring out what's that going to take, and in our steps of where we need to get John to, the first one was like, 
establish the live performance that he's going to do solo so that he can do it in different places. So we talk to John's agent, say that we want to do that, name a couple of places that John would want to do it at, and then the person goes out and figures that out for us. And then, you know, we just do all the intricacies in between. That's, that's all? Yeah. I love that aspect of live yeah, performance. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. And, and are there any other artists that are on your docket? That, docket, that, yeah. You know, like that. <laughs> <laughs> any other artists on your docket that you're, uh, <laughs> that you're uh, paying attention to? Who else? Oh, uh, I pay attention else? to them all, So, so tell, us, yes. tell us who's getting a lot of your, uh, your attention right now. Yeah, you're, I mean, I'll t- I can talk about taking it. taking your time. I can talk about Incha. Um, Incha is some girl that I signed uh, right when I started working with the management company that I'm working with. Um, and it's been my first experience in working with somebody who's um, at the very beginning of their career. So, you know, she's 18 now. She's from Canada, and we're basically putting together her first EP um, collection of music that she's going to put out into the world. Um, her first one was with uh, this place called 88 Rising, um, which is an Asian focused uh, recording label. And um, yeah, and you know, that's how I found her. And we had spoken with her a little bit. Uh, and it's been all in pandemic. So we actually have met one time for real while she was in L.A. doing a recording trip a couple months ago. Wow. But, yeah, I mean, just putting together her real first steps of being an artist. So, you know, that takes a lot of care and attention, and um, I love it. So. So, so that's very interesting because you have John Carroll Kirby, who's been around for years doing his own thing, and then you are brought onto that. But with Incha, you're helping her from the ground up. Yeah. So yeah. they're two completely different situations. Yeah, yeah. But they, you know, all kind of pour into one another in terms of experience and conversations. And um, it's been great to kind of see both sides of that, you know, career management thing um, this early on in me doing management. So it's been awesome. That's great. I mean, so now that you're a manager... Like some would say, you, you did it. You're you're done. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there's got to be some other goals. Where can you go from here? Yeah, I mean, it's just. I think the reason why I really got into all of this music stuff was just because uh, I just really like to see the music that I like and think is you know important for society to hear be shared and reach like a larger group of people even like when you know I will probably talk about this more like I guess later in your episode but the first like gig that I made for myself was running a music blog at Temple that I you know did um, photography for and wrote up like album reviews and that was just my way of you know putting my foot in the door and just being like okay this is how I can talk about the music that I like and I wasn't actually part of the development process of that music mm. but I had a special place in my heart for that music and it's kind of always poured into like where I've done all those different types of jobs that I've done through the years it's just been because there's music that I really like and it it's really important that a lot of people hear it and you know, Incha and John and other people that I work with are just making amazing music and more people deserve to hear it. So going right off of that, what is it that you like? What is your preference of the music that you are trying to get out into the world? 
Mm, I mean, I think it's something that just feels authentic and, um, the, you know, something that feels new, uh, people that are making music that doesn't sound like anything else that's being put out there is the stuff that I'm attracted to. And um, I think that also bleeds into an artist who has got a unique perspective and artists who um, want to push boundaries. Yeah, basically just that, just stuff that is fresh, I think, really. I'm trying to find something new. Yeah, always looking for the next new thing. New, right? and, new and raw. But that's what we're all trying to do, right? Just I, trying to figure out what's going to be the new cool thing. That is, that is very true. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Do we talk about you too? Like, do I get to be like, what what, what new things are you looking for, Steven? Or is it just a, like... That's, cause... A, that's a question you could ask. Yeah. And, I, and I might have an answer. Or maybe mm. I might have a bad answer and Ross will just cut out that you asked the question <laughs> at all. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's not like conversational. It's like, it's like we're, you're just like, okay, let me get this, these questions uh, like on this kid. Yeah, we can we'll see what, let's we'll see what I can get from him. Well, squeeze out the answers. Yeah. Now that we're being a little more meta here. Yeah. You know, I'd love to make this conversational. Yeah. Um, you know, that's my goal here yeah. just to, uh, be like, hey, like, let's listen to two people talk that are both interested in entertainment. On yeah, the podcast, exactly. But... I, I want to find the through lines for where we can <laughs> where we connect. Can... Yeah. I you ever you ever want to take a shot at me? Yeah, what what you are got... you listening? What are you listening to? What am I listening to? Yeah. Um, great question. Um, you know who I was just listening to, Seb. Oh yeah, you you just showed me Seb the other, like a couple nights ago. Didn't show me, but did, weren't you like you ever hear of Seb before? And I was Love like, Seb. yes. Well, well here, <laughs> well here, just a, a little about me, but yeah. we'll get into it for you too. But so I, I'm doing a very similar job that I'm do, that you had mm-hmm. back at uh, UTA, which we will get into. Sure. But I'm at WME and I'm doing comedy booking, and with that, I'm next to a lot of people who are mm-hmm. music booking. So. Um, I'm really excited to be listening to whatever they're listening to because they're the music people. I'm the comedy guy. So, yeah. um, and then the other day, this girl's like, "Oh, I had a friend in LA. His name's Seb." I'm like, "The Seb? <laughs> the Seb?" And she's like, "Yeah, the Seb." And then here I am listening to a little bit of his music, and he is phenomenal. He's great. He's a he's a great guy, and I like I like those people that are like oh, same as you, just like. Who who's not overplayed? Who's who's young and yeah. fresh? But the, until it's overplayed, then I'm like, ah, yeah, get me out of there. No, Seb's a cool one too because I think he was one of those uh, cool stories that came off of TikTok. I think the reason why his song blew up was because of a mashup that it was with a Harry Styles song, right? Um, that and is that true. kind of turned everyone on to his music. But a lot of times, those people that have that minute or, you know, 15 minutes of fame success, like, will kind of turn that over into, like, a really big record deal. But I think he ended up going with, like, a smaller one, like, called Mom and Pop. So hmm. it's going to be good for him, I think, in terms of development. So. I, th- I think it's very interesting, especially, like, with TikTok, like, giving a lot of these people a, a shot at stardom. It kind of proves whether they are going to be just a one-hit wonder or whether, like, they're the type of people who will climb through just the TikTok fame for now and like use it to become notable artists. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's tough. I mean 
you're a young person who is just trying to get their music out there, uh, and sometimes it gets, you know, if you're lucky, you get picked up by a mass audience, and a lot of people listen to your stuff, and they want to hear more, but sometimes, like, you're not set up to, like, have that to keep coming out, and a lot of people will, like, sign to a record label and not have any other music ready, or will have music ready, but the rollout is not right. There's a lot of hurdles to go through to be a successful artist and not just be a moment on TikTok. So that's why you see, like, you know, three years later, if we looked back at what was, you know, popping on TikTok, it, I would say there's a very small margin of people that are still, like, you know, notable in music or that people are, like, paying attention to. Yeah, it really, I think, comes down to the person and maybe their manager. Definitely, you know? yeah. I mean, that comes, a lot of people, I mean, I don't know where Seb was at with it, but a lot of people get their managers, you know, from these moments. A lot of people are unmanaged in these moments that they put the music out and it gets noticed and then it kind of just snowballs into all these different things that uh, lead you to setting up your career in music. It's very interesting. It's such a, something, something I'm very unfamiliar with, but at the same time, mm. it doesn't seem too uh, not understandable. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it's pretty simple. Like, I think the snowball ideal is pretty good comparison. It's just, you know, everything starts happening really quickly when a moment can happen like this for you. And it's just really important, like, you as the artist, like, are trying to make the best decisions possible because, you know, it leads to the next five, ten years of your career. It's, it's crazy. You really have to, like, capture that moment and do something with it. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. miss it. Yeah. 100%. It's such a new time. You're managing how have you dealt with this TikTok internet streaming type of place that we're now living in? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think it's a way you have to deal with any form of technology that comes out and is new and fresh and, you know, offers a lot of abilities. I think it's just you have to learn it. First, understand it. Second, and then third is, you know, figure out how it works for you and how you want to discover music or like in other cases, like if you want to do something for it, for like TV or film, like how can I, you know, wrap myself around this or be uh, enveloped in it and really, you know, use it to my advantage? Because all of these things have good and bad, but the way to make it work for you is just really dive in. And, you know, I think a lot of people will probably reject it. And a lot of people still do, like, reject TikTok. But I will say that it's probably going to be. It feels like it's getting to the point where it's, like, Instagram. Like, in those first three years, four years of Instagram, everybody was like, I don't know if I'm going to get on this yet. And mm -hmm. then, you know, now you got every, every millennial that it's, like, if you don't have an Instagram, you're basically, like, cast out into society. And you're, like, a really weird person. And then... It was the same thing like before Facebook, MySpace, anything before that. It was just, you know, we're just seeing it so much faster because um, there's so much more of everything out there. I mean, what I'm uh, speaking of TikTok too, like what I, what I personally like about it, what I find myself on it so much is I don't see it as much as social media, but I see it as just short form entertainment that's so raw that can be, it's so democratic that yeah. anybody can put something out there and it can get picked up as opposed to let's say i i would say that tiktok is more of a competition to something like a, a netflix that you're just gonna throw on and wow. the only difference is that for netflix you got to go through 
the studio executives and you had to write full-on scripts, get actors, a whole mm. production to make this happen. Yeah. But for TikTok, it's much simpler and there's unlimited content. Yeah. They don't even have to do the work. Yeah, the I mean, people I could, do it for them. Yeah, the best way to do that is probably look at somebody's uh, screen usage or what is it, the the allotment that you get yes. every week on your iPhone. Look oh, at yes. how much time you're spending on each thing. It's probably more time than you can add up to when you're watching Netflix or Amazon or anything like that. So, so here you are. You're a music manager. You're watching TikTok all yeah. the time. Let's see yours. Okay. <laughs> Mine's probably a lot of Instagram, though, because I do a lot of work on Instagram. Let's pull it up. Our, our I'm, screen I'm, I'm, times. I, I might be a little embarrassed. So I believe you get a, we both have iPhones here. Yeah, where do I go for now? You go to settings. Mm-hmm. And then you got little notification sound haptics, do not disturb, and okay. finally screen, screen time. time. Okay. So you're you're averaging about six hours and thirty nine minutes on your uh, phone, phone a day, and that I'm averaging sense. four hours and twenty six minutes. Yeah, that but makes you're sense. but you're doing work on your phone. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's you know a lot of work. I work from home. And so. here's your, here's your TikTok. Yeah. You average it about, no, I think that's just an hour for the full week, full but week, it's yeah. 12 hours on Instagram yeah. for the week. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, a lot of the things that I do on TikTok kind of move into the Instagram space. There's a lot of DMing and um, communicating with people over Instagram just because I feel like that's a majority of where a lot of people are and are willing to like talk. Mm. So, yeah. So, so are you trying to find, in addition to the clients that you already have, you're trying to yeah. find new clients and bring yeah. them on to the Matt Smith management team. Yeah, or just, you know, it's part of the the gig to do A&R things. Um, and if, like, the people out there don't know A&R, it's like artist and repertoire, and it's usually done for a label, but you can also just be doing A&R things naturally, and that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I used to work for a label and did A&R for a label, but... Uh, right now it's, you know, seeing what's out there, what's making waves, what's the new sounds that are happening. Because if you aren't paying attention to them, not talking to the players that are involved in them, then you fall behind and, you know, you just get stuck in your ways. And, and I mean, nowadays you always, there's so many places that you have to be at once in, in terms of keeping up with, with what's going on. So I totally get that. Yeah. That's just going to consume a lot of your time of for sure. Just knowing. Um, but how did you find yourself wanting to do music? Um, it's a bit of a cliche story. Oh, I love cliche stories. Yeah, I mean, it was, I was in my freshman year of college at Temple and was... And you, didn't know, you went to college not knowing what you wanted to do. And I didn't, I think I went, in, I was a legal studies and business major. Okay. Um, so... I was just taking basically gen eds, maybe like one early legal studies and business course. Okay. And it went through my whole first semester, still didn't know what I was going to do. And then I think it was around like second semester time I had um, planned this trip with my ex-girlfriend where we went to Coachella for the first time. And that was like 20... 14 or 15 I don't remember it was the year Outcast played and yeah it was a great it was a great time and while I was there it was one of the first festivals I ever went to um and it was really just a enlightening experience in terms of the things that I wanted to be involved with I could see 
that there were, you know, I could understand that there were jobs involved in this world that, you know, I could figure out and get my way to be there. Um, you just had to like start doing it, you mm -hmm. know, and that's kind of after going there and having that great experience, I was just like, okay, like I'm going to figure this out. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Um, but it's going to be something in music because of the way that experience made me feel. I love that. And I mean, I totally can relate to that too. I feel like most people, whether it's entertainment or music, you know, you want to be in it and you just don't even know like where you'd fit. Yeah. Like, cause you just don't know all the, the puzzle pieces sure. to this giant monstrosity of a puzzle. Yeah. So I can totally relate to that. But you knew like, you're like, I'm going to. I'm going to do this. Yeah, yeah. And, even, and like before that, too, I, I had some introduction to music. So, like, what I did as my first job ever when I was, like, 12, 13 years old was mm. working for this entertainment company in northeast Philadelphia called Cutting Edge Entertainment. Okay. Um, and during that time, was basically being trained to be a DJ and was called, like, uh, a grunt, actually. I don't know if they're still calling them that, but that's how I was referred to in my early days of doing some DJing. But during that time, um, you know, this is where I, you know, knew some stuff about music. But if anything, it was contemporary. And um, if I was going to go and play, let's say, a cocktail hour mm -hmm. at a wedding or bar mitzvah. And how old were you doing this? I was like 12 or 13. You were 12 or 13 yeah, doing yeah, yeah. DJ stuff? Dude, do, do, doing DJ stuff, so yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and this was when people were still using CDs, too. So. Oh, wow. You were yeah. old school DJ. It was like, it's like mid-school. Because mid -school. before that, it was vinyl. <laughs> but then I was in the, the carry big oh, so uh, hunks of CDs all over the place. So you weren't scratching records, but you were inputting no. CDs. You put in CDs, and that's how I learned how to, to beat mix and all that stuff. Oh, my like God. Over CDs. Yeah. But, um, you know, during that time, like, I didn't know as much as I could have music. And so if somebody came up to me at like a wedding of a mitzvah and asked me to play Van Morrison, kind of have to know who Van Morrison is to I'd, play some Van Morrison. I'd be like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Lady, <laughs> I, I don't know who that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so, and then you'd probably be kicked out. And then I'd be like, Stephen, play Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison. And then you'd, then and you'd then know like, it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Exactly. So I kind of got to learn all that stuff during that time because the guy who was there, who I'd probably consider one of my first mentors, I guess you would say, um, would bring in the people who were being trained every like Tuesday. Mm -hmm. um, and for a couple hours, we'd just go through like the history of popular recorded music. So I would say that I, one of my strengths and values is that I have like this uh, encyclopedic knowledge of like pop music, at mm -hmm. least the stuff that's always been, you know, uh, adorned by uh, people who would go listen to it. I like a wedding or bar mitzvah. So that, that gave me a good groundwork for, you know, getting into music and understanding and having conversations with like anybody or any genre. That's a fantastic hands-on education. Mm -hmm. That's great. Per se. Yeah. I can't believe you went into college uh, not even wanting to do this right from the bat. Yeah. Having, having done that. Yeah. So then you go to Coachella, you come back, mm -hmm. uh, do you change your major? What do you do? Uh, no, I kept it legal studies and business. There was, there's not, unfortunately, there's not any music program at Temple. Mm -hmm. I think Drexel actually has one. Yes, but, I think so, yeah. Um, I, I think it was good that there was nothing there because it was a pretty good uh, experience in having to do things yourself and figure out how to, you know, 
get the job done because that's what I think a lot of entertainment stuff is. It's just like, you know, there's really limited formal education you can get in the things that we do and the things that we will do. And it's all really done in just like going out and trying to do it yourself. And I mean, I don't think legal studies and businesses is even that far off from what you're doing now. I mean, mm. in terms of managers, like I'm sure a lot of the job is contracts and mm. eh. Yeah, I mean, there is, but John's also, you know, like, the people that we work with have lawyers, too. So, I try to, you know, legal S is, like, not what I'm trying to focus on too much because, um, you know, it takes away from some of the long-term viewpoints. Like, obviously, I'm still across every, like, contract agreement, all that stuff, but, um, you know, there's a lot of, like small language or like things that are hidden that I probably would not be able to tell you that I probably learned in college but like I'm not really applying that knowledge anymore it's not really necessary yeah yeah yeah. I mean yeah I will say like relating to my current job at WME a Mm. lot of it is contract based of and I've never learned any of it before Mm. this is all new to me and I have to learn it for the first however long maybe weeks or month but yeah that's that uh they don't they don't require you to know all this stuff going into it like, right yeah no I, to, hey i was i had up. to do the same thing when right. i started working at uta it was uh learning how to read the contracts input agreements understand what people are supposed to be paid it's important stuff yeah yes, yes it is um so at what point did you know that la was mm-hmm. the place to be for music um, it was kind of, uh, just a random occurrence. I think I was interning at UTA. In um, New York. In New York. And how, while did, I was how, did, in, how did that happen? That was, see, that is like one of those things that it, I will say it was probably a lucky break for me. Um, I was doing my blog and then that kind of rolled into the blog we gotta focus on the blog I guess too the blog yeah all right let's go in order where oh like we can do it. yeah exactly i can usually do it in order that's <laughs> like i can usually tell it pretty like in a continuation but yeah right so let's start let's start at the beginning right? okay so we're eventually it's a blog uta new york uta in la yeah but first you come back from coachella yes And I'm just like, whoa, I got to figure this out somehow. And I think it took over a summer that, you know, uh, maybe the idea started gestilating in my head. And um, I was around like the beginning of the semester, sophomore year, um, just like, okay, let me just start like a music blog where I just talk about the music that I like because it felt like an easy way and also a way that I saw some other people kind of get into music. I saw, like, you know, I think I remember, like, this song is sick, or uh, other blogs that were around during that area. I knew those people were, like, were also, like, doing other industry jobs. Sure. So that, you know, I knew that, that they either started the blog walking backwards or, you know, walking forwards into their new job. So um, I just started writing about music in the early stages of the Musies, which was called was just a lot of like, you know, sharing music, maybe sentences about them. But then um, as it took more shape, I started to do uh, photography for the blog. And um, that was a really easy way to get free tickets to concerts. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would cover a lot of shows. I'd probably go to like two, three shows a week 
when the photography thing started to really work. And so how old are you now? What, what year of college is this? That was sophomore year, so I was okay. born in 1920. Sure. Yeah, that was a great way to uh, get good experiences like that were in the music world, like mm-hmm. be upfront, like, you know, I get to be like in the pit of shows and like sure. take awesome pictures. And a lot of times, or a couple times, uh, there were some awesome moments where people would share the the photos that I took of them at concert when they came through and like would put it on their Instagram and I was like whoa this is like really cool well, like well, I'm so what kind were of some experiences like that who were some people uh, I think you? Oliver Heldens uh, a DJ shared it once yeah yeah it was like early on in his stuff this other DJ group electronic group called Nero uh, shared one of my pictures I don't know that. um, that's so cool yeah there's a couple other people during the time um but it was just great because a lot of times you know if you go to a show on like a monday or tuesday um you know there's not always gonna be a lot of people lining up to like go to a show unless it's like a really popping like you know band that comes through that's sold out and stuff like that sure um but if it's like a half sold show and i'm like doing photos i might be the only photographer there but it worked for me because i was going to school in philly and could literally just take the train or an uber to one of the venues mm-hmm. and that was a great experience That's and then it kind of turned music into scene too. It's just yeah so fun well it was good because philly music scene is like it's one of those like through cities like it's not always gonna be on your like i'm gonna talk in like uta terms like uh, agency terms it's not always gonna be on like your first routing of like your first uh you know tour if you're like a really popular band but sure. it, but it might make it on there it might and if you're doing a larger tour it's always like a second like grade city but that was great for me because i got to get into a lot of shows that i probably wouldn't have been able to see in new york and if i was, was starting this blog in new york what were some of the places that you were going uh, electric factory mm-hmm. union transfer uh johnny brenda's um, where else? I, mean, I shot at the Leah Core Center. I shot at some like bigger shows before. I did festivals too. Nice. Um, yeah, it was just a great way to get like free tickets to shows and festivals, <laughs> which and was awesome. It was so. all through the blog. Like yeah, it was so, just through the blog. So yeah. How, so how does that happen? You contact the venue manager, tell them. Yeah. Yeah, the like venue manager. You kind of get to know the marketing directors or the venue people that run in the city and. Um, if I couldn't get a hold of them or, you know, they didn't have the means to provide me a photo pass that time, I would just hit up like the people's like managers, like directly, or I would just say, or like their publicist and say like, Hey, I want to shoot your show. I have this many followers on a platform and you know, it's pretty, like it's not, it doesn't take much for somebody to put somebody's name on a photo pass and it's makes a lot of sense for them to, to do it. And then those first impressions, they turn into just connections, connections, suddenly you're, just like, hey, uh, can I come tonight? Or, yeah. Or are they even reaching out to you, just being like, oh, hey, yeah, we yeah. Have a show? It got to a point where I was getting emails like from PR people to say like, hey, do you want to cover the show or listen to this because they hear through the way that you're somebody who is doing that stuff in Philadelphia. So that's a, so. In terms of having a blog, where where how do you even do it? How do you how do you manage a blog? How do you get people to look at it? Um. You know, just write and share. I and write stuff, share stuff. I think really just believe. It's the same thing in music. You know, it's like or film, TV. It's I think a lot about consistency mm-hmm. and um, uniqueness. You have to share stuff that you know other people might might not be sharing, um, and that's how I think you just connect with people. And there's social media that which we have uh, our hands on, and it really is just direct, direct stuff that ha- allowed me to 
just build a nice little niche following of Philadelphia music listeners that were mostly across colleges. So that's what also made the blog attractive for probably PR people and managers. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to these shows where these college kids are. Most of the people that are following my blog are college people. So if you want some like college fans, um, this would be a good blog for you to have covering your show. Hmm. So, yeah, it kind of just all, like, again, I'll bring the snowball analogy back into it. I think, like, snowballed, like, as it keeps building and people hear about it, like, it just keeps going, you know? That's amazing. So, yeah. and how did this connect to getting your f- internship at UTA? Uh, so, there's an internship in between this and UTA. I worked at uh, Electric Factory, one of the venues that I uh, shot for. A sure. Bunch. Um, I knew the marketing director and was just looking for a gig for the summer. Um, going into my junior year, I think, and or maybe it was my junior year going into my senior year. I don't remember completely, but mm-hmm. um, oh, it was my junior year going into my senior year because I had come back from studying abroad in London, and I had an actually an offer to work at ICM at, in, at their internship and internship program in LA, but uh, it was just kind of unfeasible because of me coming back from London and spending money there. So right, the whole thing. Yeah. So basically just went to, you know, I, the guy who was running the marketing stuff at Electric and it was like, I, I want to, I want to work here. So we had an interview and he knew me and knew I was like a smart kid. So just let me come do some stuff for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ended up being like a really long internship actually. Cause I just kept showing up and, uh, kept doing stuff for there. Cause it also, kept me in good graces with that venue and would get photo passes for sure. all of those was shows. Was it paid or was it? That was unpaid. Unpaid internship. So, but so I worked another job during that summer so that I could do the unpaid yeah, work. Sure. Yeah. Um, that's okay. That'll yeah, happen. yeah. No, exactly. I think that's a, a, a good way to, to, to do it. I think when you're, you're starting off early on, I mean, it's, you know, if unpaid work, I think is a lot of, uh, is up for debate nowadays and I ha- actually saw like in this music industry group that I was in that somebody got like roasted for really? like po- posting like an unpaid like internship, internship gig yeah but it did look from what I saw the expectations for what the person was to do for unpaid college credit it was like a job so at least were you getting college credit for the internship no, I didn't need it. You didn't need it. I didn't need it because it, so that's you, not what I was doing. Like I was just like like we're talking about my story right now. It was like building to the story that I wanted to tell with like what I was doing. Sure. If I was you know the next, I knew that there was going to be another interview soon, that there for a job that um, I wanted, um, and it would have been amazing to say like at that point like when we're about to go into the UTA part that you know I was working for the Electric Factory for like eight months straight you were very aware that this was a stepping stone for you absolutely got it yeah so then what happens so I'm just looking for you know gigs it's my senior year I'm like eight nine months into Electric Factory um it's my second semester of my senior action don't still have a job yet Mm -hmm. and uh probably getting a little nervous at this point because I'm like, what am I going to do when I graduate? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly shouldn't be because I could have taken a year off and been fine or like I should have probably taken a year off thinking <laughs> back on it now. But, uh, you know, I was just like, oh, what am I going to do when I graduate? Uh, and Electric Factory probably wasn't going to be a feasible option because I don't think I knew that there wasn't a place for me there at mm-hmm. that point. So, you know, I was just applying to agencies because it felt like that was 
the best next step from working from venue and then shooting shows. It just was like, okay, like this is a real career that I can see uh, as a next step for me and was just applying to places, had talked to a couple people at CAA that I got connected with and, you know, it was funny because I talked to somebody at CAA, I talked to somebody at WMA, but the place that I didn't know anybody at, UTA, was the person that reached out and they were like, do you want to do an internship? Well, basically, you know, I had an interview and they... What I had learned actually at the end of my time there, which we'll, you know, we'll, I guess, talk about the time there. But when I was leaving, they were like, I was like, oh, why did I like even get picked? I was like, because there was no reason I didn't have a recommendation or anything. They just like, were like, well, we just want to interview because you were a kid uh, applying from Philadelphia for a New York internship. And they thought that was interesting. So it, that was like the reason that I got pulled. And then the girl who runs the mailroom there was Temple alum. So it was just, you know, at that point I had enough experience. I had gotten, like, I had done a bunch of interviews Mm -hmm. for places like Superfly, like cool companies, like before that, like, I just, like, you, you know, when you walk into an interview or like walk into any conversation, you just like don't have enough to talk about up until that point. Like I was just so past that point after working at the electric factory and doing my blog for three, four years. So, you know, once I got the interview, I was just, okay, we're, I'm going to crush this. And this is like, you know, just makes sense. And then I went to New York and did an interview and started interning there. They hired me and um, worked in the mailroom there and just did mailroom stuff as an intern. Cause that's that that kind was of, your internship. It was, that was in my, the mailroom. It was in the mailroom. Okay. Yeah. And basically you just do the same job as like people starting in the mailroom. Yeah, exactly. You're just doing it as an intern. So what is it, what is the job as people starting the mailroom? Well, I just ran around the city a bunch, which was great. Uh-huh. Um, dropped off a lot of different things in different places. Okay. Um, really was great for me because I got to take the subway around. I think I took the sub. I used to say this is a joke, but now it's probably not uh, real anymore. But like a lot of people that I knew in New York City at the time, I was like, I've probably taken the subway more than you guys have because of how much time I spent on the subway during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, you know, re- like working on helping people move offices. I think they were moving into a new office during that time. It's really just like a warm body. <laughs> like, <laughs> were you at least in a position where you're able to like make connections at the company? Like yeah, where absolutely. You, you were like doing informationals with yes. people. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, any chance, I think I, from what I remember, I did at least like six or seven type of conversations or sit downs with people in different uh parts of the company that's great um yeah and I actually wasn't like when I first did my interview they they, they were like well what do you want to do I was just like well I want to do music but like you know I also love film and tv mm-hmm. which is uh, so they were like well let's not put you in the music department specifically so that you can like see everything which was great for me because then I got to see like, I got to talk to a couple like film and TV people over in the New York office oh, and amazing. didn't have to just do music work going into it. Um, and I kind of got a better oversight of the entire agency like for my internship. So, yeah. And then after time doing intern, they interviewed me for the mailroom program which was just me gonna be basically doing the same job for another like you know a couple months uh-huh. um they hired me and offered me uh the decision to go to new york or la and then that was when you just said yeah i'll go to la or i mean how did why did why did you i said decision? la because i knew that if i stayed in new york uh my family's over there um 
a lot of my roots were over there. I knew if I went to New York, I probably would have never come out to LA. Hmm. I probably would have got ingrained over there and I probably would have had a completely different career path if I ended up staying over there. You wanted to separate yourself. Um, no, it wasn't your, separation well, as most as opportunity. Okay. Uh, you know, I could. I think I can still like go back to New York and like set up shop there and you know figure it out by myself. But LA was like more of a challenge. It was like, oh wow, this is a completely new place where exciting things are happening that I'm I'm not aware of at all. That's so exciting. And yeah. uh, before we even hop on over there to LA, I want to talk about that internship in New York. So you're still living it. Temple in oh, yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. So I was taking the train <laughs> to, from Philadelphia <laughs> you, to New York. You know, yeah. how, that's what you would do. You would, what? How would you take the train? You would drive up to I would, Hamilton? I would get up at like 5 30 uh-huh. in the morning, take drive my car, my little red car that was actually deemed dangerous sure. afterwards to drive. But um, it would take my car to Hamilton, uh, park it there, uh-huh. take the train to. Uh, Penn, Station. Penn Station, and then I would take the subway to Mid uh, Midtown. Mm, that's how, it. How long of a commute is that? Back and forth, it was probably like four and a half hours, and like you a would, day. Would you ever stay in New York? Yeah, I would. I would do my best to try to find a couch to sleep in okay. when I had my Thursday into Friday nights. Okay, so yeah, that's nice. Yeah, and I mean, you were still doing school at this point too, or mm-hmm. you were yeah. like school in the back end. I a was bit. still doing school. Uh-huh. Uh Still had classes in between the days when I wasn't doing work, and so you really uh, like made your schedule so that you could go to New yes. York. Yeah, for the full day. Mm-hmm. And did you ever do like a class in the morning and then? No, it was impossible. That was impossible. So you yeah. did. I was in New York all day. So how many days was it that you were in New York? Three days a week. And you could pick whichever days you wanted. Or it was. We decided at the beginning of my internship that it would be Monday, Thursday, Friday. Nice. Yeah. Oh, so that's why you would try to do a Thursday into Friday where you had the internship right, days exactly. in a row. Mm-hmm. I've heard a story like that too. Uh, someone else went to Temple. He was. He got some internship at Howard Stern. Mm, mm-hmm. Did the same thing, but he yeah. would take the Greyhound. I'm pretty sure. Wow. To See, yeah, I had York thought. Event. I had thought about that, and uh-huh. I was just like, that's. It seemed too. Uh, <laughs> it, it, like not reliable transportation <laughs> for me fair. to do. I took the Greyhound for the interview, and I was just like, I don't know about this. Like, I don't want to take the Greyhound. I was just like, okay, I have a car. It makes sense. It's like not. It's the crappiest car in the world, but it's gonna get me to A to B, and yeah. So uh, so here you are. You go to LA, mm-hmm. and you're also in the mailroom program. Is it is it Start called the, the agent training program? At yeah, UTA? it's the yeah, agent okay. training program at UTA, and we did you know assume what similar to what you are going through a little uh, bit. With, uh, the only WMA. different the only difference is I wasn't in a mail right. You're, you're not so in person. I, so. I fortunately I think with COVID they're they're trying to make a lot of hires right now immediately. Mm-hmm. So I was able to bypass the mailroom and okay, go gotcha. straight to a desk. Yeah, which is yeah, really yeah. nice. It was a great experience. Learned a lot, like you said. Like we got uh, educated on the things that you're learning about right uh-huh. now. Like you're kind of teaching them yourself. We had like literally a program that we would. I was taught like everything that I needed to know about an agency, and then we had a test on it. Like at the end of it, it's so, before like you could so get on your first desk. So when you were getting tested on this, like I, did that score go somewhere so that when you were getting looked at for desks, like did agents were able to be like, oh, this guy did 
really well on this or was yeah. it like that or not no not, no. For, not for me no because i ended up working for an agent who during the time was the head of the like la music department like music department so he was working with like bigger names like mariah carey and lil dicky and stuff like that so mm. i went right from the mail room to work for this guy and basically helped him run his business as his assistant. So um, that was, uh, you know, me leaving the mailroom, going to do my first desk. And um, that was, I was there for like a year and a half. On or, the desk. No, like a year with a year with him in full. Mm-hmm. And that was live touring stuff. So actually booking acts into buildings and, um, so he was a booking agent. He's a booking agent. Yeah. Did was he a agent for any specific client? Like, did he have his own clients as well? Yeah, like I said, like Mariah Carey and Little Milky Dickie. Chance, Little Dicky. And uh, so he had his own clients, who so he would help like book them venues across. Yeah. And put the routings together, get the offers. Sure. Yeah. And then he has a booking agent. What and where did he? Where was his territory that he was booking oh yeah i I guess he he ran the territory meetings too um he was doing i think we did like i only remember this because i had to do the ticket buys for like this territory it was (laughs) and it was annoying because it was it was like west coast uh arenas so okay yeah so he would do ran that territory so if anybody ever wanted to like go see a concert at like anything from the greek or the bowl up they would like hit me up and i also had to run the coachella like guest list for uta there which was also a nightmare but yeah and so what time did you what year did you have this was 2018 right yeah 2017 2018 and so i guess in that time too like the culture of agencies was like kind of going through a little bit of a progressive change sure yeah it felt like it, it when i was it, there it, it yeah. felt like it yeah yeah and so i mean how were were do you have any horror you don't need to share them but like were there any horrific stories that, yeah, uh, that you no. saw or you were subject to i, I would hurt i heard about them mm-hmm. but i also i think it's all subjective mm-hmm. too you know like i think i have pretty tough skin um and you know, I can't say that, like, uh, the experience that I went through was, like, easy, but I also, you know, expected it. There's, like, literally a book called The Mail Room mm-hmm. that I suggest everyone reads if you're, like, listening to this podcast. That's true. But it gave me a pretty good expectation, even if, like, the times were changing, that this wasn't going to be, like, an easy place to work. Sure. Um and it was yeah it felt like there was changes going through it felt like you know um people would hear you out if you went to hr and there would be conversations but like at the end of the day like i'll say that like i didn't ever i never saw like things like the people who were doing like the acts that i was hearing about they didn't they weren't like fired or like anything like there might have been like some type of conversation that happened like with you and your like boss that you worked for but i'd never I don't know. I don't remember like anything specific happening that I was like, "Whoa!" I, like the conversations were there, but maybe now like it's different because since I I've, I've been out of agency life, I don't know. Sure. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I definitely can tell. It's I don't know when like you're you're basically like what from what I 
thought I knew of an agency was Entourage and all the horror stories you're mm-hmm. hearing. And then I yeah. go and it's, it's I love working there. It's, That's it's great. Such a fun place. How long have you been there? Two weeks. <laughs> give, it, give it some more time. For yeah, sure. Maybe. Give it some more time. Uh, but it seems like a really, <laughs> really fun culture. I don't yeah. know. It's it's definitely a, it's definitely an office. Maybe yeah. I'm just happy to be finally working somewhere because the the pandemic's been so work from homey. Yeah. Oh, so you like going to the office? I like going to the okay. office. Okay. Yeah. I think you're a very small percentage of people who like that. Maybe I am. Maybe yeah. I, maybe I'm just trying to be optimistic. Yeah. Here. I saw a funny quote. It was like somebody was like, "Oh, benefits of working from home," and it was like sleep in, get to do this, that, and the other, like on your own time, not be on anyone else's clock. And then it was like negatives of like being in the office. It's like hearing people talk about like why we should be back in the office. <laughs> so, yeah. Really um, okay, so you are an assistant to a booking agent at mm-hmm. UTA for a year. A year, yeah. And I remember you said something to me uh, before it was almost like you really said, like, didn't you say to yourself, like, I'm gonna stick this out for a year? Yeah, well, somebody told, actually, one of the people that I, I spoke with, so it, it's amazing, like, when you can have access to someone else's contacts, like the person that I was working for, like, you just come across so many different types of people that are on different lines of work. And mm-hmm. I think I had um, met this guy who was... Uh, a late night like music booker okay um and we had had a conversation just off of like my you know talking to him through the person that i was working for and separately i had just been like hey can we like grab coffee sometime i would love to pick your brain about like what you do blah blah blah. and it was actually him who told me that i should you know whatever job you do you should try to do it like unless it's like unbearable and impossible Mm mm-hmm try to do it for a year because if you do something for a year you can see 360 day view 65 day view of what your experience would be working there so a lot of times i mean like you're saying like right now <laughs> you know two weeks in you're like oh this is great i love it so much but right. then like let's say um maybe like eight months in and you're like this part of the year is really difficult and then you have to weigh out like that difficult time versus the good time mm-hmm. and is this something that early on like is this something that i want to do for my career because then it's just a revolving door of you doing that year over and over again. You know, that's what careers are. Right. So, it's yeah. just a year. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to see it. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that year came and you said, I don't think I'm going to be a booking agent. Yeah, I didn't want to be a booking agent. Um, did you I, know, I think did I knew you, that like earlier on. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. you, it was but you save another... face like when you work for a desk, I think. Sure. Um, so you knew going into UTA, you're like, I'm not probably, I'm probably not going to want to rise up through the ranks at this company. Maybe not for a booking agent. But it was a great opportunity to work for this guy. So I like, I was, I'm gonna take it. I mean, um, and the other, the, I'm sure what I wanted to do so was so many connections too. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? It, it was a great experience, great connections. And then what I wanted to do actually, like that, I figured out during the internship was I had talked to somebody who did uh, music in film and TV. And that was really interesting to me because it was a hybrid. Yes. So um, I, after I worked for the guy who was the uh, like head booker of LA, like I was working for the head of the music and film and TV, like music crossover is what they call it at uh, UTA. And I worked for him for like six months. And then I got out of there. 
Oh, so you did do that. You did. Yeah, I, I worked. I worked on one more desk before I left UTA. Yeah. And and did did you like that any better? That was that was way cooler. It uh-huh. felt closer to what I wanted to do, but the the real thing that I uh, ascertained from from that time was uh, the fact that I wanted to be closer to the music, and the only way I was gonna get to be able to do that was to do something like you know for a record label, people that were like actually making the music. Um, but it's really tough to get into any new part of even in the industry that you're in mm-hmm. because you either start very from the beginning and rise up from there or there's like some random occurrence that like brings you in to this new company or new world. Um, but yeah, I worked in music crossover for six months, got to work with music supervisors, composers, um, Ooh, that's easy actors actresses and stuff like that and people who just wanted to do stuff that uh blended the two things together so that's so fun yeah it was cool it was cool experience and uh, i mean is that work day different than what it is working for a booking agent yeah completely different so music supervisors you know work on television or uh films and they're the people who are like either you know recommending new music for the directors to put in parts like where they're briefs for what mm-hmm. they want or clearing the music that needs to be cleared that they want to keep in sure and you know it's all based on budgets and how much money is allocated to music for a film and tv show but um you know that a lot of times i got to put, to put together playlists for that like and this was the most fun part for me putting together playlists for music supervisors when they were asking for a certain type of sound because then i got to be like okay well i know these new people that are coming up on UTA's roster that you should listen to that sound like this and that was like my way of helping potentially break an artist so and I'm sure that experience was very helpful for future down the line yeah yeah learning learning about what music supervisors do how important a sync is for an artist's career Mm -hmm. um is not something to be looked over I think it's something that can really like change the life of a person or a song like I think Lizzo's is like um, I forget what song it is specifically but or it was Truth Hurts I think that song had been out for like three years before mm-hmm. it got its like first big two or three years before it got its first big sync in either a movie or TV and that was what catapulted to like being like top 10 and I think Wow. It was, yeah, Lizzo's, and Lizzo's really interesting because everybody was thought she came out of nowhere, but in reality, she, like, had been putting out music since, like, 2013, and, like, it all just came to, to Iceberg, and, like, everyone kind of saw, like, the top of the iceberg with, like, this moment, because that's what those moments can do. That's incredible. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, you're seeing that right from the inside, too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. what I do want to know, too, so you changed departments, you also left the agency as a whole, how do you initiate these conversations with the agents that like it's time for you to go, especially like saying it's time for me to go, but not leave the agency just to another department. I think that's like really interesting because yeah. How do you, yeah. Well, I think it's something that we have actually discussed before. It's about, you know, committing your time and committing your effort and giving like the old college try to the job that you're on. Mm Mm-hmm like during that time because it creates a mutual basis of respect sure for you to go and ask like to move on to that next place or like start having conversations to go on to that next place um 
because then you also want like the blessing of the person that you've worked for before right that you're gonna do well or like you know they'll give you a recommendation to work for the next like person um so i think it's just you know actually putting in the time and effort and like uh being transparent i think is important too when you're like starting to think about those things like uh i think during my experience it was like once i wanted to do the interview i was just like went into my boss's office and just you know you just ask as long as you have done good work for them in the past i think there's never going to be a problem so you heard um like that the crossover desk was opening mm-hmm. and they were doing interviews is that yeah, yeah. and and then so you went and said hey i'm gonna interview for this yeah i was like i was like can i go interview for this because like it's like yeah this is like yeah your boss like it's like that little like uh job inside of a job Mm -hmm. like people always think about like you know you're running a bit helping somebody like run their own business inside of a just bigger business so it's just you know asking can you move on to the next spot and like if you have a reason for it or like you can provide one but sometimes like even if you don't have like that mutual level of respect i mean i think just like going in and asking and giving a reason why you want to move to the next place is good enough too so when this before even before this interview had showed up have you did you tell your boss at all before it's like hey i'm looking or was mm, it I did, it never needed to come up i think um depends on the relationship you have with the boss that you have. I think sure. a lot of people are a little, make, maybe maybe be open with their bosses and like what they want to do with uh, their next steps of their career. Um, my experience was, you know, just do your job and like do it well. And as long as you're doing good work, um, when it comes down to it and you want to make a decision based on good reason and uh, any of that, thought process it's gonna be fine so all right so where do you go from uta uh so it was that was an interesting one so i had like a little bit of a quarter life crisis mm-hmm. after that like point most people do. yeah and i had quit uta and this is like oh, so you quit with nothing you had nothing. i i had no job lined up i was actually gonna move back I, I think i was just like a little burnt out from like this is why i said i earlier that i should have taken like a year sabbatical because um, it was just going right from school and blogging to work and the expectation of the career coming. And, you know, after three years, you're like, well, where am I at now? Like, what, what, what did I want to do? What do I want to do? And I was like, well, I really love this creative stuff. Like maybe I should go back to school and like learn something new because I didn't feel like I learned anything like during my first time at Temple, but Uh, I learned it through the experience of like doing the blog. So the fact that Temple was like the incubator for that, I definitely, you know, I can can definitely relate to that. Um, But yeah, around this time I was deciding to try to go back to school because I had some, some credits left that I could have taken at Temple and just try some new stuff out. But that would have required me going back to Philadelphia. So my car is packed like mm. to go back you, to philadelphia you're ready to go i'm ready to go i was moving out of la um and had this kind of pseudo plan set up of what i wanted the next couple years to look like and creative director was like the next career thing that i wanted to like do and that would have required me to go back to school for something like graphic design or something like that okay and um <laughs> like had dyed my hair blonde and shaved it off you and really, then you really went there i just it was it was i went through it yeah and 
uh, it was around the time that I was about to leave that I got a, an assistant gig for a fashion, like street fashion company in LA, like a uh, an assistant job for somebody who ran that company, and that ended stopped me in my tracks from leaving LA. Mm-hmm. Had taken that job, started doing that for a week. And then as soon as I did it, like knew within the first week that that was not the career path that I wanted to be on. <laughs> so I really saved myself a lot of time. Good for you. And I, I think another emphasis on, you know, doing things as opposed to uh, relying on school. I think school can be auxiliary for a lot of things that we do. But I think the best way to learn if you want to do something is actually just like going out and doing it or finding out who is doing it and talking to them and seeing if you like it or not. So I did it, didn't like it, and then I started looking for uh, record label jobs. And Mm -hmm. um, at this point, I was just, I had a lot of connections and knew a lot of people. And um, there was an opening for an assistant job for um, a record label. And it was was for the head of the label. And he was, the person who ran it was also a publisher too. So it was like perfect for me. I got to do record label stuff, like work with artists, but then also work with songwriters and producers on the publishing side. So... Um, got the gig just because I knew a bunch of people. Mm. Um, not well, you know. I give myself a little more credit than that. Like I, I you know, I think I deserved it, and I knew the people that were involved sure that could give me good recommendations, mm-hmm. and got it, and worked there for about like a year and a half until I started doing A and R stuff for that for that label, and that was like about. Not too long ago. That was like within oh. the pandemic time. Like really? Started, yeah, I was this guy's assistant during the, the some, of, some of the pandemic. pandemic. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then you end up doing a little bit of acquisitions and research for him, right? Uh, artist and repertoire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A&R. A&R is not acquisitions and research. It might Acquisition and research might be for like regular companies. Maybe. A&R, yeah. Well, that that's really... That's it, and you, you found it. I yeah. Um, I thank you for opening up a little bit too about uh, the crisis you had, and I'm sure <laughs> a lot of people can relate to that. Like I know me, for instance. Like sometimes I'll be like, "Oh, I want to switch around my whole bedroom. Like it's not like, the whole way that's set up yeah. right now isn't right." Yeah. And then it turns out like maybe you just need to like do a little bit of a pivot. So yeah. it seemed like you kind of had a more professional uh experience at that where you're just like what i'm doing now i need to be doing something like completely different but it turns out like maybe you just needed a little bit in a different direction yeah that's exactly right and we're we're in steven's bedroom now and i think it looks great thank you that's so kind (laughs) of course i try i try hard to you know we have a folding table set up yeah two microphones on the table oh you can paint the picture better than that you could have just lied through your teeth and just made this seem like we're in some gold-plated room with like Uh, cappuccino cups and all right ross cut that part out we're gonna say that we're in a yeah a gold-plated room gold-plated room is that what you said i like gold-plated room maybe some like furry walls and stuff yes some cappuccino cups and uh we're wearing suits definitely velvet suits velvet suits yes and I'm sitting in the comfiest chairs yeah. that I think I've ever sat in For my entire life. Designed by some furniture maker in Sweden, not they, IKEA. They, I could, I could live in this chair yep. for the rest of my oh, life. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but unfortunately, I'm sitting in a Target chair. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too comfortable. Yeah, but it'll it'll do. But uh, yeah, I think that it's. 
I think it's great that you were able to find yourself on the bright path again. I'm sure that is honestly probably pretty inspiring to some people too, just because I'm sure many people are going through a similar thing with the pandemic. I know I did for a second Mm -hmm. of, um, you know, I was working for a director for a while and I was like, I don't know if this is actually going to lead to something. And then, uh, there was definitely a lot of anxiety on my part of that. And I eventually, uh, ended up where I always wanted to be at an agency. So it mm. definitely happens. Oh, so like, you always wanted to be at an agency? I, I, always, that. I always wanted to be in an agency. Wow. I did. I wanted to be in a mailroom and then work up and then go to a production company. Okay. And then the pandemic happened and I said, hey, Connections, like, let me get in on that agency. And they mm-hmm. said, there's no, we're not hiring. Yeah. What are you talking about? That was like about? in the very midst of the pandemic, you're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, I don't think they started hiring again. I mean, they just went back into the office recently. They're back in full swing, and I mm-hmm. really hope that they don't go home again because I enjoy enjoy being there. Well, that's great. That's great that you, you got on the path. So you're working for the record label, and then you go, oh. it's, time to, it's time to go on my own. No, it was uh, one of those things. I think now uh, in my career of music, it feels like I'm at the point like where you see a lot of people... Um, where they, you know, are kind of moving around to different stuff um, and are able to find new gigs kind of naturally. This one kind of like the management thing came about because I was just doing my normal A&R work for um, the label that I was at and just so happened to speak to somebody that I had talked to before and they were starting a new management company and they needed help because they were based in the UK and I was in Los Angeles and... Um, they liked the way I did business and liked the way that, um, I thought about music mm-hmm. and looked for music and, mm-hmm. uh, it just led to this opportunity and now I've been there for almost a year. So that's incredible. Yeah. So yeah, it feels like it's more now in the, the point of my career where like, well, I mean, I've kind of done a lot of stuff. Um, in terms of like you know checking the boxes of like agency, venue, um, label, publisher, and now like management was kind of an obvious next step just because it's the three sixty degree viewpoint of everything. You mm-hmm. have to know everything that's going on to do that job. Sure. So, yeah. Um, I love that. I think that it's very smart of you to just be like I want to see every single side of yeah. what music has to offer. Yeah. So I know where I can best fit. Yeah. Yeah. It well didn't it didn't necessarily like be it wasn't set up that way. Like, I think I always in the back of my mind like wanted to do A&R cuz that was the closest thing that I could have gotten to music. I knew when I started my blog like if I you know dream job like mm-hmm. that it would be that one. But like that was still at the point, like, where I couldn't even get somebody to, like, pick up the phone to, like, talk to me from anywhere, you know? Right. So, it, it is just one of those things of keeping your head down, doing good work, finding the people in this industry that you align with, and um, just creating, like, a network of people you can, like, tap back into, share music with, talk to, you know, about opportunities, everything. I mean, I also would say that I think what's very admirable about you is that you seem like you position yourself as, like, more of a learner, like, even mm. though you definitely know a lot, probably more than most people mm. about music, uh, definitely more than the average person, probably even more than uh, some people in the industry. Mm. But uh, 
I, I still think that it's very uh, admirable and humble of you to seem like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of doing this to, I'm going to see if I like it, learn a lot about it. And yeah. then uh, after I feel like I've gotten all that I can out of it, I'm on to the next part of, of something. Yeah, and, I mean, maybe not because management, like I said, it's like, this is like the, the last step type right. of thing. You know, like I've kind of done all of the, the gigs to get to this point. And like while I've this is the the job that lets me do all of them that I liked before because there was a little something that I liked about all of them before and this is the and this melting is kind of the melting butt of, yeah and now I've kind of see like you know I could see myself auxiliarily doing other careers or another like consultant gig with this mm-hmm. but this makes the most sense in terms of what I want to do uh, with developing artists how I want to be involved in music making and like uh, giving insight to artists, helping them uh, develop, you know, not just as somebody who's going to be a performer, but just like a person uh, who thinks about the world in a certain way because there's such a platform hmm. that an artist has. And to be uh, involved in, yeah, involved in, you know, their uh, upbringing, like I think Inch is a good example. And just like being able to be like around her kind of the same way that uh, the guy who showed me music. Um, when I was like 12, 13, uh, is super important. I think that's kind of what I've always come back to is just, you know, helping. Cause then she's going to be the person who shows all of these people what she's into and like her music's going to reflect that because of her influences. So, hmm. yeah. Well, I do have a few more questions and I okay. think we'll, we'll wrap this up. You are kind of talking about just how you like really love supporting these creatives and like they these people have a voice and like you want to be the one who helps them get it out there in the best way possible. Like mm. that's basically your job. And like, have you ever thought yourself that like, hey, I have a voice. Like maybe I want to. Have you ever thought about you being more on the creative side and then instead of helping the creative? Is was there any ever a part in your like life? Like me be a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, I just n- was never in that position. Like to be like I think when I started doing DJing uh, when I was thirteen, mm-hmm. that was like around the time that like you know a lot of other people would you know either start an instrument or start some type of creative endeavor, and my role always felt like from that point like of the thing that I got into as a a curator Mm -hmm. as opposed to a creative um you know I play some guitar I do some things that are creative as outlets but I think there is something in my DNA that is able to identify like the creatives and be able to Mm. have those conversations with them and uh, get on the same uh, playing field as them and have those conversations with them at the same time uh, not be in that exact driver's seat as them. Um, So I guess in, in short, I have, I've, you know, I think everybody's probably always thought about wanting to do some creative things, but it's also like understanding like, where are you, where's your time and effort best spent? Sure. Um, because this is, you know, giving me an opportunity to work in a realm with uh, artists and songwriters and producers that if I just went down the artist, producer, songwriter track, like it, you know, don't know if that's where it would have led me to. 
So this feel, it's always felt right. And I've kind of always just trusted that gut feeling of like what feels right. So. I, th- I think that's so smart. I mean, you're talking about a few things there. You're talking about time of just like where your time is best spent. Like it would be probably a big waste of time if you were a little more, if you didn't have so much awareness of yourself, but you clearly sure. do. And you know what, where your strong suits lie and where you're passionate about and you're able to find a great blend of that that you've been able to turn into a career. Mm. It's very smart and it seems like you've known it for a good while, mm. which is how you've been able to get so far in such a little amount of time. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really Appreciate cool. It. I hope people take that, all of that from this podcast yeah. because it's really... It's really intelligent. There's a lot of self awareness. It's Thank really you. cool. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's. I think it's that. That is one of the things that I think a lot of people overlook in uh, this industry, just because, uh, as you know, I think there's a form of nepotism, uh, nepotism or connection there in this definitely. industry, very heavy. But like, it's not just limited to entertainment. But I think it's just a little more apparent in entertainment because mm-hmm. of just the natural powers that be that are part of this and i think if you can you know have self-awareness i think a lot of it can take you a a long while because not everybody who gets put into positions through nepotism has the same type of self-awareness and can kind of position themselves for you know what's next for what's next it's always about what's next yeah until i don't know maybe for it seems like how you're talking now it's a little bit like hey yeah, I, uh, I don't need to think about what's next. For yeah, well, what, a what's bit. next is now is like you know breaking these artists, which is really nice. Making making sure that uh, I can kind of tell a story with them and be a part of something bigger than myself. That's really nice. Um, the last thing I want to say, so to give people some context, mm-hmm. uh, you live. Uh, we live in the same apartment building. You mm-hmm. live uh, downstairs from me. And we, we watch we watch movies a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would even say uh, out of there's a bunch of people we live with about about seven. Almost every single one is in entertainment. Every single one is in entertainment industry except yeah. for you. You're in music. Uh-huh. Yet you are probably the biggest cinephile out of everybody. So having this big love of movies and, yeah. and television, are you ever? And especially that one job where you were uh, working for that crossover agent, yeah. are you ever going to try to find that place where you can blend music and TV together? Does that still interest you? Yeah, well, like I said, like I, the management thing feels like it's the long-term career thing because it gets to do everything. But mm-hmm. one of the consultant things that you know I think I could see myself doing down the line is like music supervision, like. By myself, um, being able to be the person who works with a director and understands what they're trying to achieve with um, music in their film or TV, and um, you know that's something I want to do down the line for sure. Um, and I think that can open up a lot of doors after doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, definitely something I've always been really interested in, uh, and uh, would love to do down the line that's part of you know like now now we're at the point like where with my thought process of career is just you know trying the other things auxiliary to what i'm doing sure so yeah that's that's great uh, i wish i wish ross was here for this one he would love that yeah I mean, I, that, that's where his specialties and passion lies do as ross talked about his 
like band and stuff on this yet or he hasn't ross has not plugged himself but ross needs to plug himself because i feel like i didn't know about his band at all like until he left la he was here for a couple months and never even spoke about it one time humble man he's a humble guy yeah he he actually showed up on my tiktok while i was doing some like research and that's why i was like yo steven (laughs) ross just came up and he's kind of having a little (laughs) mini viral moment uh, to hype Ross up a little, uh, he has a band called Beach Fuzz, and you yeah. just went to one of their concerts. I lost in my voice at at, at, Johnny, lost... at their their concert for Johnny Brunza's. Yeah, oh I was God. screaming Ross too loud and just <laughs> lost my voice. That's hilarious. The music you're listening to um, for this podcast, he, he yeah. made it. He made it himself. That that got me in the zone. It got say. you in the zone. That, didn't that was it? great podcast music. Yeah. Well, maybe. Maybe we should start it now because we're gonna. It's a good way to. Yeah, yeah right. No, that was great. Maybe, yeah, let's see if he started playing it. Hopefully he did. <laughs> but uh, let's uh, let's sign out of here. Yeah. Thank you, Matt Smith, for coming on this podcast. Sure. I think you are uh, such a so far and in this along in this industry yet in so little time mm, thank you i appreciate uh, that yeah it's very exciting to see what all that happens maybe we'll maybe we'll have a, a check back in oh love it. i would love part two this is yeah, fun. part two yeah, yeah. Let's, let's do it i'm down uh yeah and we can talk about like a check-ins would be cool yeah and then we can hopefully be in the gold-plated room yes at, at that point we'll be in a gold-plated room uh we'll be in, sitting in a hot tub yes. hopefully a gold-plated room with hot tub yeah <laughs> that would be a nice way to do a podcast wouldn't it yeah <laughs> all right well thank you madsen for coming on it's been a pleasure everybody this is the mail room where i interview aspiring entertainment industry professionals my name is Stephen arano i'm the host thank you ross arano for producing this And we will see you next time. Adios.